Hello, it's Jack Tutor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Kalia Vandever, an American trombonist and composer based in Brooklyn, New York. Kalia has a new album coming out on AKP Recordings, We Fell in Turn. It's her first solo record following two albums with a full band, In Bloom and Regrowth. But We Fell in Turn centers on Kalia's trombone. There's very sparse furnishing from electronics, voice and loops too, but really what you're hearing is this instrument and Kalia as a player just unfurling patiently into space, responding to her own reflections and reverbs, following these prompts as well from producer Lee Medvin, who gave these improvisatory instigators for Kalia to work with when they recorded the album over three days in upstate New York. It's a lovely record. I've been having wonderful time with it. It's a great headphone listen to occupy that space and hear the trombone navigating that emptiness. It's beautiful. I loved Kalia's records as well. Three great ones. I'm still having a good time with these as well. And it was really great to get Kalia's thoughts on them. We had a good time. So I'll include links in the show notes to the new record. And if you want to support Crucial Listening, you can do over at coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash Crucial Listening. You can chip in any amount you like, monthly, or just as a one-off, which will help keep the podcast going. Thank you so much. And thanks for your support generally, and for listening, and sharing your thoughts on the show. Really appreciate it. Okay. Hope you enjoy this episode. This is Kalia Vandiver on Crucial Listening. Hello, Kalia. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hi, Jack. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's great to have you on. So you're here to talk about your three important albums. Uh, Before we get to those, I want to talk about your debut solo album, We Fell in Turn. So you've done two records prior to this one, both with the band. This is the first one you've done solo. Is there a reason that now is the time that you're now doing a solo album? Is there a particular, I don't know, things converged in a way that makes it feel like this is the right point to be doing that? Hmm, not necessarily. I wasn't planning on releasing a solo album this soon. Right. Um, I started the project right before the pandemic. I think I played my first solo show in late 2018. And I played a series of solo shows before the pandemic and then found myself playing mostly solo shows during the pandemic for obvious reasons mm-hmm. and was developing the set more um, for live stream performances um, or outdoor shows. And I played one solo performance streamed through this platform called ODA, O-D-A. And Scott Osgood at AKP heard that performance and reached out to me asking if I had plans to solo, to record a solo album. Oh, wow. And yeah. And at the time I didn't have plans for it because my head was mainly focused on my quartet and planning for the next quartet release. Because at that time when he reached out, I believe my quartet was about to go into the studio to record my sophomore album, Regrowth. And that was in 
September 2021, I believe, mm -hmm. is when we recorded that record. And so it was right around that time that we were going into the studio when Scott reached out to me, expressing his interest for a solo record. And I remember we got on a call and I told him that it's something that I recently had passion for, but couldn't really conceive of recording it because right. so much of the, uh, so much of the solo work is improvised. Um, and so much of the, the performance element is improvised and like there are songs that come from those improvisations, which is, which was definitely the case for the record, but I don't know. I had never recorded a fully or mostly improvised album before, um, especially not under my name, you know, mm. going into the first two releases, uh, everything was composed. And while there are a lot of improvisational elements, there's nothing that's like fully improvised on those two records. And so it was hard for me to imagine entering, you know, a studio or a studio, a similar space to a studio. We ended up recording in, in a house, which I think helped me a lot, but um, it was just hard for me to imagine that process, both in that it's solo and that so much of it is improvised. Right. Um, yeah. So a long winded way of saying I didn't imagine <laughs> I would record a solo album when I did, nor did I imagine it would come out a year after um, my regrowth album. I, I yeah. didn't think that I would be releasing this soon after. <laughs> right, but, right. Um, but it's exciting and, you know, and makes me nervous at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so what were the actual sessions like? So you did it over three days, right, in upstate mm -hmm. New York. Um, how did those yeah. sessions pan out? Uh, it was really nice. So Lee Mebin, who's the producer of the record, uh, he's a really good friend of mine and he's worked on the last two records. And it's something that we had talked about doing, um, but only in a casual way. <laughs> and so right. when I told him that, I had the intention of recording a solo record. He was really excited. And so he, he brought up the idea of going upstate um, and recording it in his family home, which he's recorded a lot of his records there. Um, and he'll normally go up for a week and just and work on the music for that long. And so he said we could stay for as long as a week or, you know, he knows the way that I work in a recorded setting and I don't, like to elongate the time too much like the mm. last two albums we recorded in a day <laughs> um wow <Blimey>. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so he knows how i am because i just there's just so much pressure for me when i am in a recorded setting but i think with this record we knew that we wanted um the performance element to feel a part of the record and we also knew that we wanted to try a lot of things and so we went up over a long weekend and the first day was mainly just like setting up and getting sounds. And I think we recorded a few things the first day, but uh, we really dug in the second day and uh, recorded a lot of material and then used the third day to listen to everything. And there were a few ideas that we recorded that we thought we could execute better. So if, you know, there was like, if we were messing with different effects or, if I was thinking about a certain concept, but there was an element missing, he would suggest like, let's, let's just try that again, mm. you know, and like maybe think of it more in this way. Cause he, he came up with a lot of the concepts, um, the improvisational concepts, uh, when we were recording, which was really nice. Um, and so the third day we kind of used to see what we had and see how we could improve upon some of the concepts. Yeah. I read about these, concepts of dictated prompts that Lee gave and as someone who doesn't deal in improvisation <laughs> as a musician at all I'm so fascinated as to what that is like what kind of thing that would be so what kind mm -hmm. of prompts was what kind of concepts was Lee putting to you to kind of instigate the improvisation there was one prompt that he dictated before going into an improvisation that was um think of an early childhood memory. And that was, it was as simple as that. Um, and I overthink things. So the first take, <laughs> the, the first take I like, I start 
an idea and then immediately stop and I'm like, oh, like I'm too in my head about this. And he's he's <laughs> oh, like, that's nice. not the idea. He's like, I want like I'm gonna say something and you're gonna just start playing. Like don't like you can take a moment, take a breath, but uh, really try not to you know read into it too much. Right. Um. So once I felt a little more settled in that memory, that unlocked a lot of other ideas for me, and so it was kind of nice. I feel like the general flow of um, the prompts was he would, you know, he would say something, I would live in that space for a little while, and then we would stop. And there were a few times where I told him that I wanted to keep recording or like try something else um, because it it brought up another idea or another memory for me. Hmm. And so I feel like that ended up being a lot of what came up for me in terms of inspiration behind a lot of these pieces you know, just like trying to imagine, you know, the earliest memories of pain and, and joy and excitement and, and where I am now and how it's evolved over time. And there was another prompt that was think of a food from your childhood. Oh, that's nice. Uh, yeah. And again, I was like, oh, well, like, should, should the music sound like the food? Am I trying to like embody the, <laughs> and he stopped me again. He was like, no, just like think of, you know, when you think of childhood or you think of, you know, nostalgic foods, like what, what comes to mind? So I thought of this, um, this mochi butter mochi cake that my, um, grandma used to make and now my mom makes, um, mm. but it's very like reminiscent of home. And so that's what ended up coming up. And, it was nice because when I was working with the graphic designer on the um, album cover, she asked me about, you know, some of the concepts we were working with. And I, I told her about the mochi cake and she ended up using that a lot when she was working on the oh, wow, album cover. So cool. Yeah. So it all ties in. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing I wanted to bring up, which I think is adjacent to that, is that it is mentioned as well in the text that childhood memories and your Hawaiian her heritage are prominent in this record i mean was that purely through working with the prompts had you kind of figured that that energy was going to be in the record or that influence was going to be in the record prior to going into it or did that just emerge throughout the process of recording it it certainly came up when i was recording the album mm. um i've been thinking about you know ancestry and my grandfather and the ways that he comes up in my life since his passing in 2019 and he is really present when I play music that's when I feel him the most and so I found that when I was recording the solo works the you know a lot of the pieces live in one space for a little while so I feel like the melodies or the trajectory of a piece comes from like what you know, what emerges for me in that moment. And when I was thinking about childhood and like my grandparents, my maternal grandparents who are Filipino and Hawaiian culturally, they, they came up a lot when I was thinking of my childhood because they mm. were always very present um, in our lives growing up. And, um, and my grandfather was very soft-spoken, but he was always really supportive and really connected to the music that I made. And so I feel like this was another way of like me kind of carrying on his, his legacy. Awesome. The record is wicked. I've had such a good time with this. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so people, please go check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, so let's go do your important records now. Before we get to the records specifically, a question I like to ask here is about how you thought about the word important when picking your three records so was there a way that you understood important in order to come up with the three records that you did mm. so i was thinking of important albums in the way that they inspired we fell in turn and i was thinking about both how it influenced that record but how they influenced my both my musical upbringing, but also where I am musically today. Mm. Um, and while two of them have been important in the last year or so, 
one of them has been important to me since high school. So it was nice to consider how certain records that have changed me recently uh, have similar similarities to the ones that kind of formed my earliest thoughts um, mm. on music and imp- improvisation early on like when I was in high school. Cool. Which one do you want to go for first? I guess I'll start with um, the Grouper album. Yeah. Um, that one's called Dragging a Dead Deer Up a Hill. Yeah, that's the one that I discovered when I was in high school. Could you give me a bit of insight, like an overview of why this one is important to you? Sure. Uh, when I was thinking of why this record is important to me, it, a memory that came up was um, when I started going for walks and listening to music uh, when I'm upset or sad, which is something I do regularly now. And uh, it's something that soothes me. It's something that helps me work through whatever, Mm. whatever I'm going through. And this record is kind of like one of the earliest records I can think of where, where I started doing that. You know, and I was like 16 or 17 years old and, you know, going through what I thought was the hardest period of my life, Um, (laughs) you know, like super angsty teen, just like, oh, I'm heartbroken and, you know, um, I don't know how to like move through these emotions and I'm just going to like walk around. I lived in downtown LA at the time right? um, and I had a lot of independence at the time and I lived with my dad and he would come home pretty late from work. So um, I would get home from school and often just like have a lot of time to myself. Um, And that's, those were the years that I like really dug into music and, and formulated like my music taste at the time. And a friend of mine shared a grouper with me and I had never heard anything like it. Hmm. Um, And First, it was my introduction to music that was really patient. And I feel like I think about patience a lot in music now, but that was the first one of the first records where like, you're listening to it and you don't really know when a song is transitioning to the next, yeah. but you don't really like wake up from it until it's done. And that is that's the experience that I had with that album when I first listened to it where were you coming at this record from in terms of like what music were you listening to or what were you gravitating towards before grouper came into your life uh i was listening to a lot of jazz Mm. um i was going to a performing arts high school uh and um studying with a jazz saxophonist and those were my first years learning how to improvise in that context. So I was listening to a lot of Ella Fitzgerald, uh, John Coltrane. Um, I was asked to transcribe various uh, saxophonists at that time. And I feel like that had a huge influence on me uh, in other ways, but I was like really living in, in that world um, for the first couple years of high school and that's that's around the time that i had considered a life in music and so i i wasn't really drawn to other forms of songwriting until around the time that i think i discovered grouper and so i think in those few years of high school towards the end i was diving more into songwriting and a lot of singers um but also just bearing away from from jazz a little bit but mm. it was always you know still still present i love the thought of coming into grouper i guess i mean been listening to a lot of jazz like i mean this is very broad mm-hmm. brush but to go from something i guess quite focused on performative dexterity to total formlessness and strumming open strings is quite lovely i mean um <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's a record that you've picked today and you discovered it back in high school so i'm curious as to what has allowed it to stay pertinent to you like why have you kept it close to you and why is it still important now um i think i find myself to be a very nostalgic 
person. And this record brings up so much nostalgia for me. Mm. Um, and uh, around the time that I was recording the solo album, I was reminded of this record a lot, probably because I was living in that place of nostalgia when I was recording, um, mm. um, given like the themes that were coming up when I was um, improvising. And I hadn't thought of the album in a little while, but around that time, like early last year, when I was recording, I I brought up that record and other records of groupers, and um, I was reminded of of like how meaningful it was to me during that time, um, mm. but how it still holds true today, which isn't the case with a lot of records that were influential to me at that time of my life. Mm. You know, there are a few that stand out to me um, as records that I listen to now and can easily be transported back to that time. But mm-hmm. I feel like this record definitely transports me back to that time of my life. So nice as well, because um, that's what this record does for me. I think mm. when it came out, it must've been that year or the year after that I discovered it. And I have very vivid memories associated with listening to this record. There must be something sonically going on. I think that makes it, <laughs> yeah you know slither through time back and forth a bit more adeptly than some records maybe i don't know but i mean mm-hmm. st- stuck is the track that really <laughs> sticks out for me in my head when i think back to this one is are there particular tracks that protrude for you mm, yeah well when i was listening through it again the first i mean the first two tracks for me uh really stand out to me disengaged going into heavy water slash i'd rather be yeah and what i mentioned earlier about um feeling like you don't wake up from the record until it's done i feel like those two tracks uh, you know they just the first transitions into the second so seamlessly and then you realize that you're on the second track of the album and i definitely uh, use that approach in a way or i wanted to think of of those two tracks when i was recording um certain things on my solo album and there's one song in particular um that i use my voice on um, yeah. it's the only song on the album um that i'm singing and i think that those two tracks in the record came up for me when i was recording that song have you seen group alive I have not. I wish I wish I could say that I have. <laughs> have you seen them live? <laughs> yeah, I did, but oh, cool. it feels like it it feels like a total dream because I have to I I'm pretty sure I did. I it was during the <laughs> Violet replacement tour where okay. they were doing, you know, this kind of loop-based set which was really lovely, but I misremember the supports. I remember raving to this particular band saying i saw you supporting grouper and they were like i have no idea what you're talking about so it has this you know it again it all feels very appropriate for the kind of terrain of this this record um mm-hmm. you mentioned other albums as well uh by grouper mm-hmm. the ones you connect with i mean the whole discography is just fabulous what are the other ones as well that really connect for you other grouper albums yeah that's right there's another oh yeah the man who died in his boat is yeah another yeah. one that sticks out for me that i listen to a lot and that came out um 2013 so i was finishing high school around that time going into college which again is nice and it kind of like played into the way that i feel like i had matured in some ways and i think mm. music can remind you of that like yeah. and the way the ways that you've matured or what still sticks with you or what you're still working through and i feel like that album coming out when i was going into college was a nice reminder that like oh like i've reached this new place in my life i'm moving forward and like this music will always be with me um and i can tap into what i was going through once i listened to this music but i have reached a different place which is nice oh, 
Okay, Kalia, let's go to your second important album. Which one do you want to go for next? I can talk about uh, Promises, the floating points in Pharaoh Sanders' album. Yeah. So, again, give me a little introduction as to why this one's important to you. So, I had listened to Pharaoh Sanders before, but never in this context. I've never imagined a record like this nice. either i remember <laughs> i remember when um my partner at the time put it on for me and he was like i think you would really like this it's a pharaoh sanders record and you know like i i had an idea of what it could be based on previous records of his but he put it on and i'm like what <laughs> what what is this like i i'm like i didn't even know you not that one could do this but right it's certainly one it's certainly one of those records where you're listening and, you know, there are different movements, but it, it, the motif stays the same throughout the entire mm-hmm. record. And the way that Pharaoh is playing over is so sparse, but so beautiful. And yeah, I don't know. It's been, it's been one of the most important records for me in the last year. Wow. Um, like o- over so many records. Um, I think it's, one of the most important in in that it's such a great you know body of work but also when listening to it it's something that i want to do at some point like and it's not it's rare that i'm listening to something like oh i i would love to you know i would love to recreate this in my own way or write something like this but listening to this record i feel like this is something i need to do at some point oh wow Um, what kind, yeah. can I, what, what kind of thing do you mean? Like, what is it from this that you want to transpose into your context? That's so cool. I think, I mean, I'm thinking mostly, I mean, I think the same is true for my solo record, but I'm thinking about like my ensemble records and a lot of the compositions on my last two albums. Um, you know, like there's one theme that, you know, that will repeat over the course of like a four or five minute track and, there's like there's maybe like subtle variations in the way that the band is approaching the melody or the motif, but you know it's like very it tends to be pretty active aside from like a few compositions of mine. But mm. I generally think of composition, not generally, but like I do think of composition uh, in my quartet setting as as like taking one idea and like you know reinterpreting it and within the course of the piece. So. Um, mm. And I feel like Promises is an even more distilled example of that. It's one, it's like one idea (laughs) for an entire album and Pharaoh just gets like, gets to like soar over it. And I just like thinking of the way that I improvise in band context as that. Like I, I try to approach playing with bands, you know, as like just kind of playing melodies that fit within different contexts. And it's hard to like stay true to what I do melodically or improvisationally um, with other bands. Cause I, I, I do a lot of side person work. So I feel like I'm thrown into contexts a lot where maybe I haven't played with people before. And I, something that I think about a lot is like staying true to how I sound and like making sure that like my voice comes through mm-hmm. in any context. And I feel like Pharaoh is, is one of those people and um just listening to the way that he approaches melody and and the way that he approaches you know impact on this record is something that i i strive for awesome yeah yeah what's astounding to me is i saw a little video today where i don't know if you've seen this Kalia, but they're in the studio pharaoh and sam floating points and it's like this two minute clip and it's before Pharaoh's ever heard the piece at all. And he's just saying, so what do you want me to do? And then Sam's <laughs> like, I'll just like, we'll let the chords loop and just come in when you feels right. So that first yeah. movement is the first time Pharaoh had like ever heard that motif. Oh. And just the first thing oh, I thought to do. Wait, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, yeah, okay. I just found that out today. Um, but it's completely recontextualize it. But particularly with you, I guess, given that the record is, so important but the fact that that was just on a whim from mm-hmm. pharaoh and it's like 
now solidified in that first movement is just oh stunning yeah <laughs> see that kind of that makes sense to me because he's so patient right yeah but, um i, I kind of love that that's the first time that he heard it so yeah. like even even if i went into hearing it for the first time knowing that i would be like that's so that's so incredible that like he allows for so much space because you know i feel like i've been in situations before where folks tell me oh you'll hear it you know like just <laughs> jump in when you feel <laughs> jump in when you feel comfortable but it's like i'll jump in and it doesn't feel right or or like i it doesn't sound good <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> you know but yeah. like but he jumps in and it sounds <laughs> so beautiful <laughs> yeah i mean that sounds like pure kind of panic zone for me someone being like i'll oh, just go mm -hmm. with it i'll be like no give me two weeks with this stuff mm -hmm. and i'll come back mm -hmm. with something written down have, have you i mean obviously working within the context that you do as you say I, I can totally see this kind of situation coming up a lot is it something that you found that you've had to get more comfortable with over time like what's your relationship been like with those kind of spontaneous scenarios mm. yeah it's something that i'm more accustomed to now I still find myself in situations like that and some are easier to approach than others depending on you know depending on the music depending on the people around me and also whether the environment feels supportive right um, yeah i mean that it has a lot to do with that i would say because if, if it's supportive then people will help you out and be like oh this is like this is where it starts at least this is what's happening harmonically they'll give you any context as opposed to just like throwing you into something right uh, yeah without any context um but yeah. yeah it's still it's still a part of my career in a lot of ways um and i feel like i'm i'm used to it now and i think in the situations where it feels uncomfortable or unsupportive i just I take that as like a sign that I won't be doing it again in that, <laughs> right, in that, yeah. <laughs> in that situation, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's ways in which it can be a total power play to leave mm -hmm. you completely out of the loop until last minute. Yeah. Mm. Right. Right. With this floating points and Ferris Sanders record. So, so I had this when it came out and I was like, this is nice, but then didn't return <laughs> to it. And then, this is the lovely thing about this podcast is that someone comes along and says it's one of my important albums and then it completely hits different and I had just the most incredible experience with this one how has the record changed in your company in the time that you've been listening to it and you know obviously it's ascended to now be a very important record to you what mm. has that trajectory looked like like how have you how have you been relating to it differently over time if at all Hmm. I honestly don't know if I've been relating to it differently. It, it's still, it's still very impactful when I listen to it all the way through. And I try to listen to it when I'm able to listen to the record all the way through. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. so there've been times where I've, I've tried putting it on when I'm on a flight or I'll put on one movement, but it's not the same for me. Um, mm. So I guess in in that sense, like with other records, I'm able to do that, like pick certain songs or if I'm making a playlist or something, I'll add, you know, um, I'll add just one song from a record. And I was making a playlist recently and I wanted to include this record <laughs> or something from it. Um, yeah. But I just I, I told them that, you know, I'm like, check out the record. I'm not going to put it on the playlist because I can't choose a song. <laughs> I can't choose a movement <laughs> from it. But um, like, but you really need to listen to it. <laughs> um, and so it's nice cause I don't listen to it frequently, but, uh, when I do, it's often when I'm in a place where I can like sit down and, and listen all the way through. So whether that's like, if I'm on the subway or if I'm at home and can just like sit down and listen to something, uh, this mm. is one record that I, that I go to. And they're going to do like a live version of it at the Hollywood Bowl, right? I don't know if you've seen this. Are you going to go to that? I just saw that because I saw um, Shabaka's playing. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I just I just met Shabaka last year, like early last year. Oh, cool. And, yeah, and I'm a fan of his, and so I I saw him post about it. 
I hope I hope I can go. Yeah. Um, I would like to if I can. Let's go to your final important record. So, what have we got? Yeah, it's uh, Jeff Parker's Four Folks. Great. And as before, if you could give me a little introduction as to why this one's important. Sure. So, I was introduced to this record, um, I think, the month before I recorded my solo album. So, it was at a time where I was pretty anxious about recording the solo album and having doubts about my approach to solo performance and solo recording, because I had never recorded in that context before. And then my friend told me about this record because I've, I've been a fan of Jeff Parker's for a minute. And um, I believe, I, I believe this is his only solo record. I might be wrong. Um, but yeah. I, yeah, but I, I heard it like, yeah, the month before I recorded and it kind of, it just put me at, at ease because so many of the songs kind of just like live in one, one space for a while. And that's the way that I think about solo playing. And he plays a couple um, jazz standards on there, but otherwise some of them are just like folk songs. And I think a few are improvised as well. Um, but it's just, it's just him and, you know, he's looping a lot of what he's playing and um, it's really, there are no points where it feels busy, no. um, but it, it's, but it's still very captivating and it allowed me to like think differently about what I do in a solo setting and, you know, just remind myself that like what I'm doing is not that I like had doubts about what I was going to record, but you know, it's a solo album and I play trombone and I'm like, I don't know who's going to listen to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but like, I feel, I feel really good about the work and what I do. And I don't know, it, like listening to this record just like re- reminded me that like, oh, okay, this is like, this is why I love solo performance so much, you know? Mm, um, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if the, was the looping aspect Kind of, did that have a, an imprint on? I know, I know, it's never as like um, point A to point B as this, right? With inspirations and stuff. But I'm, I was very interested in the way that Jeff kind of swirls loops into this mm-hmm. record because they're not they're not the kind of things that you would expect to be sort of swept into a loop. They're kind of really um, yeah. choked off and imperfect and kind of scrabbly a lot of the time yeah. they're really mm-hmm. like oh they're the kind of things that you don't often hear you know repeated and yet it's lovely to do so so I, I wondered because the looping on you know a few of the tracks on your record where it appears is really gorgeously done and has that to my mind anyway that same sense of kind of being these very abstracted scraps that yeah mm. feel really intriguing so yeah I wondered if this was kind of figuring into your head as you were recording we fell in turn um not explicitly because i do have a pretty specific approach to looping um and i do i do like it to feel like pretty lush and refined in a way when i am Mm. creating a loop um but there were a few pieces and i don't really know i don't think they ended up on the record there's there's one piece i think that ended up on the record where uh, Lee, the producer, was managing the pedals. So, like, we, towards the end of one of the days, he had the idea that he would work the pedals as I'm playing. Wow, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so one of them actually is Mirrored Solitude, which is the second single on right, the record, yes. the one in which I'm singing. Um, he was working the pedals on that one. And 
I still feel like, I mean, it feels scrappy a little bit because I think about some of like the earlier takes of that piece and they were pretty, it's pretty loose the way that the, the loops ended, ended up um, feeling. But um, there were some other tracks that we recorded that didn't make their record that were like pretty swirly. And that's when Lee was working the pedals and they had like really, really cool elements to them. But in the context of, of my record, I, I don't feel like some of them fit. Um, right fair. but that was like really fun to play around with yeah that's yeah. really cool you mentioned that you've been a jeff parker fan for a while so how would you come into jeff's work prior to this record um so i trying to think my earliest memory of jeff parker's i mean the first record that had an influence on me was um sweet for max brown and so that's yes. that came out in 2020 so I feel like I'm a, I'm a recent fan of his, like since the pandemic, but I've always listened to a lot of guitarists and I like writing for guitar. And I think a friend told me about Jeff years ago and I found that record, listened to it a lot. And then I went to the big years festival last year. I was playing, right. mm-hmm. I was playing there with um, Moses Sumney and I saw that Jeff was playing with that band uh, so I went, I went to go see their set and yeah, it was, it was such a fun set of music. And I, I'm also a fan of, um, the saxophonist, um, Josh Johnson, who plays with Jeff a lot. And that was my first time seeing him play and Micaiah McCraven was playing. So it was just a lot of favorites of mine in that, in that band. Um, oh, they're playing the suite for Max Brown stuff. Yeah, no. oh, they were. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Yeah. So that, that was, that's the only time that I've seen Jeff live, but I was just in LA for a little bit. And, um, he does the, occasionally does Monday nights at ETA, this venue, and they actually just recorded a a live album there. And it's this trio with Jeff Parker, Anna Butters and Josh Johnson. And I tried to catch it while I was in town, but I just missed them. But that's now a band of his that I really want to see that I haven't been able to see yet. Nice. Okay, yeah, I'm going to look out for that record as well. Yeah. Um, are there particular tracks on Four Folks that portrayed for you as favourites? Yeah, I really like Suffolk. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of like the longer and like slower moving tracks on the record. Um, and I feel like the pacing of that of that piece uh, had an influence on the way that I pace some of the songs on my record Mm. um while i try to be patient in working through an idea or developing an idea i noticed and this is for me a downfall of recording just in the way that i approach recording but like i sometimes am fixated on like length or duration Mm. um and so i remember when we were listening back to things i would ask i would always like oh how long was that how long was that and he's like you need to stop asking that question because (laughs) it doesn't matter like just whatever feels right to you just you know just record in that length of time like don't i don't want you to like go into recording something thinking it has to be you know three minutes right um yeah but i don't know like my mind still works that way when i record um and i i'm also thinking about these songs or improvisations feeling like a song like something that was written beforehand even if Mm. even if it wasn't like there there are a couple ideas that were premeditated um but a lot you know a lot of the things that i ended up putting on the record are improvisations but i i want it to feel like a song you know um yeah and i and that's definitely the way that i approach the solo performance in, in general it's like i i'm often developing like one one melody and i think on that track suffolk on jeff parker's album i feel like he does it really nicely and it's you know i think that's one of the like the longer tracks on the album but that's one of my favorites so mm. it's just it's a nice it was like a nice reminder for me like it doesn't really matter the duration of something like it's just like how does it feel you know and like do you feel like you've made it to the end of an idea right um, yeah yeah that's so interesting you say that about duration though because I, <laughs> I wonder if you have any thoughts on why that is i mean it's certainly a presence that uh, i've felt 
when performing and I, I think for me it's got this kind of social it's like a social imposition where I'm like yeah people don't want to hear eight minutes I'm broken <laughs> right. <with> me <laughs> do you like do you have any thoughts on like why like duration is something that comes to the top for you I think it's it's the social element as well I mean I I see a lot of live music I, I have since I was you know in high school um I think a lot about live performance from an audience perspective and I just I don't want people to be disengaged like I, mm -hmm. I want to keep the listener in the whole time but what I've realized is that you know it's always going to be subjective whether someone's into what you're doing or not <laughs> yeah, so it's like sure. you can't you can't control whether someone's staying engaged or not <laughs> for sure yeah um yeah. but I guess yeah I guess I'm just thinking about it from my perspective when I go to see shows and maybe shows that are more improvised, you know, sometimes it can, it can be hard to stay uh, engaged the whole time, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like there are ways that you can hold in the listener and, you know, that might be like making sure that you come to a pause with an idea, even if it's improvised, you know? And like, I've been a part of sets where you you're playing the whole time. Like we'll play like an hour set with no stops. And I think that's a really, that's a cool approach, but I'm just, for me, and because melody is so important to me, it's like, I, I want that to be able to stick in someone's mind or ears when they leave the concert, you know, mm -hmm. like what, what kind of impression do I want to leave on an audience? And it's like, I, I want them to be able to remember something from the material. Mm. Um, because that's what sticks with me when I go to see shows and that's purely what i am drawn to in music and i know that's not the case for everyone but that's what i'm drawn to these records do they tend to be things that you you know these important records are they things that you come back to uh regularly are they things that kind of drift in and out of your life mm. um so with the grouper album i feel like that is that was absent in my life for a little while and it's only resurfaced in the last year or so but perhaps because promises and four folks just entered my life last year. I mean, I guess both albums are fairly new as well. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, I get four folks more so has has been present in like my listening uh, sphere. I I have some of those songs on like various playlists that I've made, um, and so I feel like it it comes up when I'm you know I've been traveling a lot recently, so I'm thinking more so of like music that I listen to when I travel, but. I've been listening to four folks still um, recently and um, and then promises like I said earlier I don't listen to as as often but it's still one that I like I do crave I do crave listening to that album hmm. tell me about making playlists because that's come up a couple of times are you making playlists for mm -hmm. friends specific people like where yeah uh, both. Um, I make playlists for myself and for friends. And this has only been a recent thing uh, in the last, I would say, maybe the last like six to eight months. Nice. Um, it started when I was on tour last fall or last summer into fall. Um, I was doing this big pop tour and spending a lot of time in dressing rooms, just <laughs> listening to music or like playing music for other people. Um, and, you know, folks would often ask, like, Oh, you know, what, what's that record? Who's that artist? And, and it just like, it would always spawn a conversation of like, Oh, like, can you, can you send me that? Or like, make sure you send that to me. And so I just started like creating playlists for people on the road. And then I've recently realized that it's, I get immense joy from sharing playlists with friends and and receiving playlists from friends yeah too like it's so nice yeah <laughs> and it, just, yeah. it like 
it brings me so much happiness to like uh, both give and receive um, a playlist and you just get like a little glimpse into like someone's personality too when you um when you get a playlist of theirs and so yeah mm-hmm. and i think my sister asked me for one at the end of last year so i had a lot of fun making one for her and and now it's something that i i regularly update um the ones that i have for myself i update when i discover new music or if i'm getting old, if something's getting old then i'll i'll take it off wicked clear thank you so much this has been wonderful you picked three great records it's very easy spending <laughs> a lot of time with these albums <laughs> and yours as well like i say is really really wonderful so thank you again thanks so much jack it was nice talking to you as well and so everyone listening see you next time goodbye Bye.